Brick Moon Fiction presents The Sunken River by Kevin R. O'Hara, narrated by Nicholas Thurkettle. Welcome aboard, Sean, the captain said stoically. You still accept coins? I take credit, debit, PayPal, Bitcoin, and cash. Metal coins seem a little outdated, but yeah, I take them. Just as long as it's not a check, I don't take checks. Welcome aboard, she said again, her tone unchanged. Sean counted out all the change from his pocket and handed it to the captain. Um, is this enough? he asked. Sure. Next. He gave her an awkward smile and a nod, and when she looked indifferently past him towards the next passenger, he headed up the plank to board the large ship. It was over five hundred feet long, with four passenger decks above the hull that alternated blue and white. The gigantic, faded blue word Estline was written along the weather-worn side. At one time, this was probably the premier vessel transporting both passengers and cars across the Baltic. Now, as was made clear by the extensive rusting and barnacles, those days were long behind it. It creaked softly as it banged against the dock in the dark river waters under the moonless sky. Making his way to the sun deck, Sean bumped into an older man in a blue suit who stared at him indignantly through round glasses. Sean was about to apologize and then recognized the man. Hey, aren't you a senator? Sean began. Are you a supporter from my state? Asked the older man abruptly with a slight southern accent. No, not really. Afraid I'm not a fan of your politics. Well, then excuse me, I have important business to attend. And the senator turned around and bustled through the doors leading to the interior of the ship. Sean stood there for a moment in disbelief until he was startled by a short woman next to him who interjected, I don't like him either. He's one of the biggest reasons why the country has gone so far backwards. Money, money, money for corporations and special interests. Hypocritical jerk shifts his stance on the Constitution when it benefits his party. Consequences be damned. Well, that's like most politicians, Sean responded. Are you kidding me? She said with a glare. Yeah, you're right. He's the worst, Sean corrected himself, not wanting to start the voyage with an argument. I hope he rots in hell. The woman gave a self-satisfied smile and turned to look back at the dock, which was still teeming with lines of passengers and cars waiting to board. Directly below them, the front visor of the ship opened like a giant metal mouth for the vehicles and cargo to be loaded on. What do you suppose that is? she asked, pointing at a humongous gray shipping container below, carved in warning signs saying live animals and extreme danger. I don't know, said Sean simply. The vehicle hauling the gray container jostled it as it crested onto the ship's ramp. A metal-on-metal -metal thud vibrated throughout the vessel, but was soon dwarfed by the echoes of multiple horrible roars and growls, presumably coming from within the crate. What was that? the woman said with a start. I really don't know, Sean exclaimed with just as much surprise as the woman beside him. I'm not going to sleep well knowing there's a monster aboard, she said, and then added with a sly smile, and whatever's in that crate. Sean puzzled at her until she raised her eyebrows at him in annoyance. Oh, you mean the senator, Sean quickly said as he caught on to her joke. He tried to give her the satisfaction of a chuckle, but she lost interest and walked away, leaving him alone on the deck. Later in the evening, Sean watched the indistinct banks go by as the ship silently made its way upriver. 
At first he was nervous because the ship seemed much larger than should be allowed in a river of this size, but eventually the banks gave way to open water. Or perhaps the night had grown dark enough that the side shores were no longer visible. He relaxed when he saw the captain walking about the outer deck and assumed that she wouldn't be here if the navigation was at all tricky. He took in her appearance. She was tall and perhaps a bit lanky. Her uniform was made up of a well-worn white skirt and jacket with a red sash about it, giving it a bare hint of authority. She wasn't wearing the captain's hat anymore, and her long face was framed by black hair with Mediterranean curls. She seemed tired, and only her fiery amber-colored eyes conveyed any energy. She noticed him staring at her and said, Enjoying the night, Sean. It's not as cold as I thought it would be tonight. Your ship's really impressive, by the way. Really? It's big and it gets the job done, I suppose, she responded, shifting her gaze to the waters. Captain, I have a question, Sean asked after a few moments had passed. Carrie, please, you don't have to call me Captain. Okay, Carrie, what's in that gray container in the hold? Are you transporting wild animals to a zoo? Management doesn't tell me these things. Seems dangerous, so I'd advise not going down in the cargo hold. But I'm not sure what's in it, Carrie said in a somber tone. I'm just responsible for navigating this ship and getting you from here to wherever you're headed. Um, about that. Yes, Sean. Where, uh, where are we headed? He asked with genuine embarrassment. You haven't been to your cabin yet, have you? She asked bluntly, knowing the answer. No, why? There's a welcome videotape. It'll explain everything. Excuse me, there's a narrow passage up ahead and I should get back to the bridge. Feel free to stop by later and we can chat, if you like. Sean spent some time wandering the passenger decks in search of his cabin. Along the way he checked out the restaurant, nightclub, and casino. He noticed a sign for a pool and sauna located on the bottommost deck, but a faded closed-for-repairs notice hung beside it. Eventually he found his room and was immediately disappointed. Not all of the lights came on when he tried the switches by the door. It looked as though the cleaning service hadn't been to it today, and there was a faint, musky smell throughout. The room was fairly small, but that much he expected. On the desk he saw a boxy television set and a half-dozen VHS machines. All but one had a taped yellow note card that said, Doesn't work. The unmarked one had a clock that blinked the number 13, followed by two zeros. It definitely wasn't one o'clock in the afternoon, so Sean assumed that this device was also broken, only less so than the others. Beside it was an unmarked videotape cassette. Having not seen one of these devices since he was a small child, Sean picked up the tape and examined it. He then inserted it into the machine, which promptly spat it back out with an annoyed whirring sound. He flipped it over and reinserted it, and then waited. When nothing happened, he checked the wires, ensured the television was on, and pressed the play button. On the side of the television, another note read, set to channel 3. This confused him momentarily, but then he clicked the remote's number 3 button and the screen lit up. For a few seconds, the image was distorted by a wave of colored bars, but then the image settled and the captain's face appeared. In the video, however, her uniform was cleanly pressed and she had a pleasant smile on her face. Hello, I'm Captain Carey. You've probably got a ton of questions about the voyage you're about to take, so let's get right to it, she said with a note of enthusiasm in her voice. First off, welcome aboard. I hope you have a pleasant cruise. 
please let me know if there is anything I can do to make your final trip more enjoyable. Second, if you haven't figured it out yet, you're dead. Don't worry, this is completely natural and it happens to everybody, eventually. Feel free to pause the tape if you need a few minutes to digest the news. There's really no hurry. Sean stood there in silence, utterly confused by what he was watching. After a few seconds, Carrie nodded and resumed speaking. Back from the pause? Great! Now the most popular question I get is, where are we headed? To prime vacation-like spots such as the Elysium Fields, Heaven, Valhalla, etc.? Or to the less popular destinations like Tartaros, Jahannam, or H.E. Double Hockey Sticks? I only provide smooth passage to the far shores. There you'll meet your appropriate emissary, depending on your religion, and get it all sorted out. For you agnostics, there will be some forms to fill out. You'll find all of the paperwork you need on the desk of your cabin if you feel up to getting a head start on it. Again, no hurry. Oh, and please don't attempt to swim back. The waters of the sticks are, shall we say, not friendly. And even if you did make it back to where we embarked, you wouldn't be returning to the living. You'd just end up walking around as a shade for a very long time. Being a ghost is nowhere near as interesting as the movies make it out to be. So, with that... Lay back and enjoy the trip, or avail yourself to the various amenities aboard the Estonia, which include a discotheque, a cinema, and a below-deck heated swimming pool. Have the time of your life. One last time. The screen was distorted with color bars again, then blackness, and then the tape was abruptly regurgitated from the VCR. Sean paced around the room, and, given the size, it took only a few seconds to return to where he started. Beside the desk, he noticed a rack of tour guide-style pamphlets with titles such as Elysium Fields, Premier Place for Premier People, and Where to Go if the Pearly Gates are Closed, to you, and Ten Best Night Spots in the Afterlife. He brushed his fingers over them and for some unknown reason stopped at Asphodel Meadows, an okay place to be. He pulled it out and unfolded it. The first paragraph read, for those of you who led ordinary lives, the Asphodel Meadows is a truly decent place to stay. While no Elysium, it's certainly better than falling into the dark pit of Tartarus or wandering forever with the heartbroken losers in the morning fields. Rest comfortably knowing that most people end up in this not-so-bad corner of the underworld. Enjoy meeting others like you who committed no significant crimes and who won't go on and on boasting about how they overachieved while on Earth. There's even a Howard Johnson's restaurant open 24-7. Nope, was all Sean uttered before heading out of his cabin and up to the bridge. What is this cruise? You don't even look like the Grim Reaper, stated Sean with a tone of accusation. I'm not the Reaper, common mistake, Carrie said with a sigh, not taking her eyes off the ship's controls. Sean didn't even register that she was the only one on the bridge. Well, then who are you, Sean demanded. You've probably heard of my great-grandfather. He was kind of a big deal back with the Greeks in the old days. Charon, the ferryman. The ferryman, Sean repeated slowly. From mythology? From the classic paintings? I thought he pushed a little rowboat with a pole, not a huge ship like this. Two thousand plus years ago, the population was a bit smaller, like 150 million people on the entirety of Earth. You all have gone a little nuts with overpopulation. With almost 8 billion people on the planet, that's over 50 million people dying every damn year. I had to upgrade a bit. Thankfully, Carrie continued, and then corrected herself, sorry, tragically, the Estonia sank back in the 1990s. 
I had to transport over 850 lost souls that night, and it just made sense to use the ship itself. As it happens, it's also the biggest ship available. Well, other than the Titanic, of course, but that's in much worse shape. No putting that back together. Estonia can take about two to 3,000 deceased per trip, but that still leaves me with a tremendous backlog. At least, there are more atheists nowadays. What do you mean? What happens to atheists when they die? Nothing, Carrie responded. Decomposition, mainly. Makes my job easier. For the rest, I just collect the fare and cart them over. Great-grandpa used to require an obolus coin, but nobody makes those anymore, so I'll take whatever has worth. What does death even spend money on? Sean asked. We're not death, I told you. This is just a lousy job. There's a mall on the far shores. A mall? Like with TJ Maxx, Walmart, and food courts? More like Kaufman's Tower Records and Circuit City, Carrie clarified. People aren't the only ones who go to the afterlife when their time has passed. Oh, said Sean, still trying to take it all in. Is this mall located in heaven or hell? Depends. On what? Whether you like malls or not. Carrie let Sean stew with that for several moments as she went on about her duties in the quiet bridge. When he didn't come out of his stupor, she came back to him, locking her fiery eyes on his pale blue ones. Sean, is there something more I can answer for you? Sean shook his head as if waking from a dream and tried to settle on a question. How do I get into the Elysium Fields? His question came out with more urgency than he intended. Elysium, she said with a quick laugh. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to insult you, but what incredible thing did you do in life to think that you would be going there? I, um, I accomplished a lot of things, I think. I, I graduated college with a degree in mechanical engineering. I landed a good-paying management job working on new technology in the auto industry. I mean, I didn't invent any of it, but I worked with people who did. That counts, doesn't it? I also tried to be nice to most people. Carrie stared at Sean with a look somewhere between amusement and sorrow. Sean, you were a middle-class white dude born in America. I hate to inform you, but privilege works in reverse in the underworld. You're judged on what you've done with what you were given. Expectations are much higher for those with relatively few hardships. In fact, you're more likely to end up in a terrible place if you misuse that privilege for entirely selfish gain— I don't think you were, but we've got a certain lawmaker aboard the ship right now who is definitely not going to any place pleasant, and I'm fairly certain he knows it, too. The senator? He doesn't seem very self-aware to me, though. He always flipped and flopped to help his rich donors without the slightest bit of shame. I can see the desperation in his sunken eyes. He knows where he's headed. His fate is sealed. Suddenly, a tremendous crash reverberated throughout the ship, and Sean and Carrie fell forward. Lights started to blink all over the ship's console, and a tinny alarm sounded. Hyri, Hyri, label on Hyri, said a soft woman's voice over the public address system. Sean didn't speak whatever language it was, but understood it to be some sort of automated warning to the passengers. The next sound was even more distressing. Several mighty howls rose up from the decks below, louder than any animal Sean had ever heard before. It terrified him to his core. What's happening? cried Sean. Carrie was up again and quickly checking the panels on the ship. She appeared more annoyed than worried. After pressing some buttons, she pointed at a closed-circuit monitor. The visor broke loose again, she calmly stated. Again? Sean yelled. Well, it's what sank the ship in the first place, but I thought I had it fixed up. Hmm, 
That's not right. Something or someone unhinged it from within the car deck. We're taking in a lot of water. Can you shut it from here? No, looks like the bottom hydraulic lock has been sabotaged. So what do you do? Sean was in a full panic. Well, I need to fix it, Carrie said. There isn't any Coast Guard or other ships down here to rescue us. It would be bad if we sank. Why? Aren't we dead already? You are, she said while grabbing some ship manuals. But imagine spending eternity as a ghost stuck drowning in the sunken river. If I can't get that door closed quickly, that's not even the worst part. Carrie turned and made her way out of the bridge. Sean quickly got up and followed. Where are you going? To the hold, obviously, she said as she glided down the staircase. But what if those dangerous creatures got out of their crate? Sean asked fearfully. Then I have to deal with that too. I'm not thrilled, but this job is my family responsibility. Nobody else is going to do it. You don't have to come, but I could probably use your help. If I am able to help, maybe that would get me into Elysium, Sean said to himself, half-joking. Don't hold your breath on that. But, um, do prepare to hold your breath. The cargo hold was dark and filled to capacity with hundreds of cars such as Plymouth's, Oldsmobile's, and Saab's, among other models that were no longer manufactured. The floor glistened with sloshing water and a swampy stench permeated the moist air. A metal clanging could be heard from the far end. Carrie hopped down into the ankle-high water without hesitation and started to make her way past the old cars towards the bow of the ship. Sean did the same, but with significant hesitation. Near the front of the hold, large cargo containers were mixed in with the cars. In some of the open bed ones, Sean noticed mounds of outdated technology, such as fax machines, discmans, and dying electronic Tamagotchi pets. All of this technology is going to the afterlife as well? Sean asked. It gets dumped in the abyss, though even that's running out of landfill space, Carrie answered. Actually, that crate of iPhone 5s are on special order for hell. They like to drain the battery to 3% and hand them out. New tech, new forms of torture. At the very end of the hold was the ominous gray container that Sean had seen being loaded aboard earlier. He could hear the sounds of frantic scratching coming from within as if something huge was trying to get out. Carrie slowed down her approach, suddenly cautious. Sean noted that the cold water was already rising up to his knees. Beyond the container was the forty-foot bow visor and car ramp, cracked open and letting black river water pour into the hold. On a ledge several feet to the left of the door stood the senator, drenched in water with his glasses barely hanging onto his face. In his hands he held onto an oversized wrench. Although clearly exhausted, he heaved it against a mechanical sidelock attached to the wavering ramp. Carrie shouted his name and he looked over, his sagging face filled with exhaustion, determination, and fear. Stop! she called. He took note of her and proceeded to get a second wind and whacked the hydraulics two more times with the heavy wrench. The visor creaked open a bit more against the rushing water. No, this ship will not get to the other side, he yelled. I would rather stall us here forever than be taken there. The additional flood of water was now making it difficult for Carrie and Sean to move forward. I don't think you realize, Carrie shouted. Sinking us is going to keep everyone, not just these passengers, but everyone on Earth from ever reaching their afterlife. Think of all the people you would be denying getting to the great beyond. Now put down the wrench before it's too late. Do it! I read the material in my cabin. 
I will not be going to Tartarus or whatever you want to call eternal damnation. That will not happen, and I will not be intimidated by you, Grim Reaper. She's not the Reaper, Senator, Sean interjected. Think of your children and grandchildren. Think of your constituents, the good ones who have a chance at getting to heaven. Do you want them all to suffer? Sean tried to move his legs forward, but the rush of water coming from the opening was now too strong to make progress against. The old man clung onto his ledge and hung his head down. No, but I won't let the devil have his due, he said somberly. Not being able to move forward, Carrie pulled herself sideways to the edge of the gray container. What are you doing? whispered Sean. I think I have an idea what might be in that crate. It could help us. Or kill us. It looks like we've run out of time, so... She grabbed the metal handle to the container and twisted open the crate door. Then she quietly backed away. The scratching stopped as the door swung open. The angle of the door and darkness made it impossible to see what was inside. Sean lowered himself down behind a Pontiac, afraid deep down in his bones of what was to emerge. His body trembled from the chilly waters surrounding him. Then from the shadowy container nearly a dozen enormous and ferocious-looking canine heads slowly peered out. Their eyes seemed to glow a soft yellow, and their mouths dripped with endless saliva as they sniffed about. Are those hellhounds? asked Sean in the quietest voice he could do and still be heard over the water. It's not, Carrie said as she crouched back next to him. It? said Sean. The beast fully emerged from the container. It was larger than an elephant and had a single four-legged body with ten heads protruding from its massive neck. Its shaggy fur seemed to move around its body in a most unnatural way, as if wind had been blowing from all directions. Then Sean saw the hundreds of little eyes and realized that all of the fur was, in fact, tiny serpents covering the entirety of the beast's back. It stepped forward, causing large splashes and ripples in the water. For a moment, the heads were looking in several different directions, but they all snapped to attention towards the bow when the senator let out a scream of terror. No! No, you won't have me! The old man yelled, and then did an awkward belly flop into the water. He attempted to swim through the narrow opening in the car ramp and bow visor, but the current was too fast, and within seconds he was swept away, his falling body moving right to the giant dog with ten heads. One of the heads grabbed at his leg as if it were a stick. The man screamed and then burbled as a massive paw slammed him down in place. Sean turned his eyes aside just as the other heads bore down upon the helpless man's body. Sean wished he could have turned his ears away as well, for what happened next was not at all pleasant to listen to. While the dog gorged itself, Carrie sidled closer to Sean so as not to have to speak loudly. Ugh, that's a mess, she said matter-of-factly. Though I have to admit, it's a cute puppy. That's a puppy? Sean said with disbelief. It must be a puppy. It's like a miniature Cerberus. Look at how its paws are much too big for its body. Aw, and all of its heads haven't grown in. What? It's got like a dozen heads already. I thought Cerberus was supposed to have only three heads. Sean exclaimed as quietly as he could. No, it's just hard to fit more than three heads on a vase. Artists took aesthetic liberties or just were lazy. This guy's father has about 50 heads. Looks like the old dog finally gets to retire. I can't wait until it's my turn. 
So what do we do? Sean asked while peeking over the top of the car and regretting it instantly. Let's see, Hercules overpowered Cerberus and Orpheus lulled it with music. Maybe if I sang it a song, it would settle down? You have a mechanical engineering degree. Do you think you can seal that ramp if I distract the dog? I managed engineers. Do you think you can manage to get that ramp sealed? Look, we don't have any choice. Carrie pushed herself away and grabbed onto another car. She did it once more to get some distance from Sean. Once on the other side of another large shipping container, she climbed up and yelled down to the Cerberus pup. Hey boy, who's a good ten-headed boy? She hollered. All but one of the dog heads looked up at her, while one remained focused on finishing up its meal. The beast then reared around to face off against the captain. Sean steeled himself and then slowly crawled onto the top of the car before him. He got up on his feet and made certain none of the dogheads were looking his way before leaping to the hood of the next car. As he landed, he immediately lost his footing and dropped down on his belly. It was just as well because one of the heads glanced over in his direction but did not spy him. He breathed heavily as he counted the three cars between him and the ledge where the senator had damaged the ramp's controls. Carrie saw his situation and started waving her hands to get the full attention of the Cerberus pup. Sit! Do you know how to sit? Come on, boy! Sit! Several of the heads started to growl at her, and their eyes brightened with the yellowish glow. The beast did not speak, but Carrie and Sean could clearly hear the word HUNGRY projected at them, almost as if the sound was coming right from each dog's mind. Yes, of course you are, Carrie said carefully while maintaining eye contact with as many of the heads as she could. I'm taking you to the far shores. You'll get plenty of food there. Sean jumped to the next car, and this time he kept his footing. The Cerberus pup began circling the container. Again, the disembodied voice bellowed, Feed us now, fairy woman. Look, we're in a bit of a predicament. If you eat me, we won't get to the far shore. Yes, you'll have a couple thousand people to eat here, but then that's it. No more meals. Then you can spare a few hundred now. The voices echoed menacingly as the beast crouched down, readying itself to leap up to the top of the container. Sean saw that the water level was starting to rise to the height of the cars. He was running out of time. He gave a desperate look to Carrie and mouthed, Do something! Okay, here goes nothing, Carrie said, and then awkwardly sang out, Woof, 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 woof! The beast paused, confused. Who let the dogs out? Carrie sang completely out of tune. Who let the dogs out? Several dog heads cocked to one side as if pained by her singing. Sean looked at her incredulously and then regained his focus. He stepped twice and leapt to one car and then to the next and then to the ledge in a single fluid motion. Cease! The unnatural voice shouted at the captain. Woof! 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 Oh, well, I'm no Orpheus. Carrie said as she stepped away from the container's edge to avoid the jumping beast. Sean grabbed at a metal bar and twisted it, but the force of the river caused it to snap loose and clatter against the hull. Half of the Cerberus heads turned to look at him, followed by the rest. The beast rounded on him. All of the mouths were drooling with long strands of saliva. 
That wasn't music. Seriously, who let the dogs out? Was all Sean could think to say. I only know songs that have passed on from your world, Carrie retorted. And then she shouted again at the creature. Stay! Don't eat him! We are about to sink in the river Styx, and you'll drown unless you choose to help us. I promise you will eat if we survive. All of the dog's heads looked at the visor as it started to break open with a new flood of water, and the beast had a sudden comprehension of the situation. Its massive body trudged through the rushing waters, and it grabbed the ramp at various spots with its various mouths. Digging in its back heels, it pulled the ramp closed, stopping further water from spilling in. One of the heads nodded to Sean. He stood there in shock for a moment, and then got to work on trying to fix the locking mechanism. It took a while, but eventually the ship visor was secured. During that time, Carrie found a shipping container filled with unopened packs of 3D Doritos. They were well past their expiration date, but the Cerberus pup joyfully tore through the packages, gobbling up all of the discontinued snack until it was sated. Thank you for your help, Sean, Carrie said when they returned to the bridge to get the voyage underway again. Maybe this will be enough to get you in the Elysium Fields? Though technically I'm not sure it counts as an accomplishment if it happens after death. I'll put in a good word for you regardless. No, said Sean soberly as he toweled himself dry. I realize I'm destined to go to the boring afterlife Meadows place. I really didn't do anything worthwhile with my time on Earth. I think I'm actually okay with that. I just wish I could live it over again and make different choices. Well, I can't give you a second chance on Earth, but this old ship isn't in great shape, and I could really use some help for a while getting it repaired, Carrie said with her rare smile. Sean considered it, and then had an idea. Wait, how often do you get outdated technology down here? All the time. It tends to follow those who are attached to it. Why? she asked. One of my big projects was working on self-driving vehicles. We scrapped our version two years ago due to overwhelming competition. The basic tech would work for ships. If you'll take me, I can start trying to locate it and work on automating this ship. Heck, with enough time, we could get you a fleet of automated ships to ferry the dead. I'd finally get a holiday. I've never even thought of that, Carrie mused. Where would you go on vacation? Sean asked her. Her fiery eyes lit up with wonder at the possibilities. I don't know. But I sure as hell won't be taking a cruise. Kevin R. O'Hara enjoys employment as a creative director in the video game industry. He originally hails from Spencerport, New York, but promptly moved to the West Coast after graduating from Ithaca College's film school. He has worked various roles in the film and video game industry over the years, most of which involved creative writing and game design. He currently resides near Seattle, Washington with his lovely wife, awe-inspiring daughter, and energetic Kieshand. Find him on Twitter at JoltedKev. This has been a production of the Brick Moon Fiction Podcast. If you like what you hear, please give us a review on Apple Podcasts as it helps us find a bigger audience. For more information on Brick Moon and special offers, sign up for the Brick Moon Fiction newsletter at brickmoonfiction.com. Thank you for listening.